Hello and welcome to our brand new Sunday morning book review. Read all about it. I'm Nuri Vitachi, and I'm Shu Si. The rules are very simple. Each week, we'll both bring a fairly recent book that we think is really worth checking out, and hopefully, you'll enjoy it too. And then, to wrap up each week, we'll take a short trip back in time,、uh, just to remind ourselves of some of the great literary classics. Okay,、uh, Shushi, why don't you start? Okay, well, it was this summer's, you know, fine. I just kind of stumbled upon this book, and I wound up. I'll just read you my Facebook post after I read the book. Reading, reading, reading away the summer. Here's a new novel just released to watch for the awards. Brilliant, beautiful, original, and startling. Could be the housekeeping of the 21st century. And the book is The Blue Girl by Laurie Foos. The Blue Girl, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting title, and it is actually about a blue girl. Okay, blue can mean all sorts of things. Yes, it? blue can mean so many things. So yes, and and it does actually play with that in the language. The language in this in this book is beautiful. Beautiful,、uh, very poetic, very very lovely,、mm. and that's a big reason I was so drawn to it. So anyway, we're in this small kind of lakeside, summer resorty kind of town somewhere in the United States. I'm thinking maybe Michigan, maybe、mm. you know, it's it's not named in the Northeast.、Um, and there's this strange blue girl that lives there. Now nobody quite knows why her skin looks sort of blue. The rumor has it that she swallowed some Drano when she was younger, maybe in a bit <laughs> to commit suicide, and so she has this weird look about her. But anyway, she、uh, it, it opens on her. Um, drowning in the lake one summer, and this young girl Audrey jumps in and saves her, and that's how it starts. And this triggers an odd series of incidents around the lives of three families. So it's a very domestic sort of tale, and the setup is quite interesting. It's、um, six points of view, six first-person point of view.、Uh, so six women telling you the story, or rather, six women and their three daughters telling you the story. Good grief! <clears throat> well, Shushi and I are both、uh, both novelists ourselves, so uh, so uh, uh, something like a six a six、mm. point of view story. We just You know, it's、uh, it's mind-boggling how complex that would be to write. I know, and I thought, will she pull this off? Because I thought, how can you make it sufficiently distinct? Now, I have to say, the stories, each of their narratives, are quite distinct, and so you learn quite a lot about each. Person's character, but、um, in the end, I, I have to say that was one of the small flaws of the book.、Mm. That sometimes they sounded a little bit alike because、mm. they're all these、uh, American girl or American mom voices.、Mm. Now, one one more thing.、Uh, um, is it、uh, is it is it realistic? I mean,、uh, a, a blue skin girl sounds almost like magical realism. It is a little bit magical because what happens is、um, after the drowning, everybody starts talking about this blue girl, and you know, then we start hearing the stories about the blue girl from each point of view, and the three mothers decide they're going to visit her, and they, it's never quite explained how this happens, but they come. Late in the evening, and feed her moon pies. Do you know what a moon pie is? <laughs> it's not like a moon cake that's、uh, all over. Not exactly. It's a it's a it's a very American kind of confection, if、oh. you like. It's like made with two graham cracker biscuits, you know, that、mm. are round, and in the middle you put this marshmallow cream. It sounds positively disgusting. Actually, <laughs> it's very sweet. Okay, <laughs> and then it's dipped in some kind of either chocolate or some kind of flavor. It sounds American. It sounds extremely American. <laughs> it's the kind of American dessert. But they bake these moon, or they make these moon pies. They don't buy it from the store, and、mm. each of them sort of starts outdoing the other about how grand the moon pie is, and they bring it. And this is the only thing this girl will eat. 
and she lives in the woods with this old woman. So you're getting the sort of surreal sense of it already. So it's it's told in a very realistic way, but there is this level of surreality about it. And apparently, Laurie Foose, this is her sixth novel. I, I'd never heard of her before mm-hmm. this. And um, she writes in the sort of surreal vein, but always mm-hmm. about something that could almost happen. Okay, a, a blue girl. I mean, um, uh, what do you think is the meaning of this? Uh, okay, I've decided that the novel's about that which really cannot be explained. And, you know, we have this specu- speculative real setting. It's also about mothers raising daughters versus sons, because they all each have a son, but mm. they don't talk as much about the son. It's about the, And it's teenage girls who are all sort of being surly and difficult and rebellious <laughs> and not talking to mom. Yes, and, and living on chocolate, actually. It sounds yes, a bit exactly. like my household. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm sure anybody... And not being a mom myself, mm. I found it fascinating because I, mm. I love the mother-daughter dynamic in it. Mm. But um, we're not told the the reason for a lot of these things. It's just that these women find that they have to do it. In fact, the way I can sort of explain it is just to read just a paragraph of the opening, which is in the voice of Irene, one of the mothers, okay? And she's the mother of the, the teenage girl who saves the drowning girl. The blue girl eats secrets in moon pies. She takes them in, her mouth and lips smudged white against her blue skin, tongue clacking at the roof of her mouth crumbs dribbling down her chin. We present them to her in the quiet of her room while she lies beneath the old pitted grey comforter and sucks in ragged breaths. Slowly her eyes close as we pass our secrets across the bed and into her hands. We watch as she swallows them, sometimes whole, sometimes in excruciating bits. Sometimes when the old woman who lets us into the house draws near, the girl gasps or twists her mouth, but mostly she seems to enjoy them, her lips pursed with the sticky surprise of the things we have come to offer her, the thing that she has come to take. So the Mm. idea that these secrets are in the moon pies. There is another side to this book too, which is um, a kind of... It, it's sort of like a comment on the issue of the problem of autism. Because one of the boys, one of the sons in, in this, these three families is autistic. He's like um, about 19 or so. And, you know, he sort of bangs his head against the wall. He has to be locked in and things like that. So the blue girl is sort of like this girl who never speaks, who keeps trying to drown herself. So kind of like all the kids who have problems, you know. Um, but what is interesting is among the teenage girls, they're all kind of trying to deal with this issue and going, oh, and our mothers don't understand. And the mothers, in the meantime, are dealing with the, the difficulty of dealing with all of this, of handling all of this and trying to talk to each other. And they're all kind of, um, well, NPR has had an interesting description of it. It's the monotony of daily life, especially for women, you know. And present in all of them is a sense of dread and a muted despair brought on by the crippling limitations of domestic life, (laughs) you know. And at the end, though, it is quite... um, it doesn't sort of, you know, come to some kind of, oh, wow, everything's fine now. You know, it's nothing like that. It's nothing that unrealistic. But each each girl and each woman comes to some kind of resolution mm. about what cannot be explained in her life. Mm. You know, there's a, there's a lot of interesting language there and, uh, and carefully chosen words. It sounds almost poetic. Um, 
Uh, is is it that very sort of high level literary writing? I wouldn't call it that super high level poetic. I mean, yes, there is poetry in the language, but what's beautiful about it? It's a very readable narrative. It's a really interesting story. It keeps you going because all these mysteries come up, and you start to find out about each of the the kids' lives and each of the par- parents' lives as well. Because there's also a husband in one of this in one of these couples who. He he's sort of a little deranged, and he sits there every day playing this imaginary basketball game with himself. You know? <laughs> um, so it, I think what it is is that um, the author doesn't explain. You know, you open with the blue girl eats secrets in moon pies, and doesn't tell you why we need to understand this. But you come to, you get drawn into it very much like poetry works. Mm-hmm. You don't have to understand every sentence and why it is this way, but the language itself kind of captivates you. Mm. It's almost mystical, isn't it? A little like, bit, yes, yes. yeah. And it, we we have the mystery of this blue girl. We don't know where she comes from, why she's there, and who this old woman is. Do we want to know? I mean, is it is it annoying that we don't get the answers to these questions? I mean, that's a risk, isn't it? Yeah, for me, it wasn't because I realized that it's not the mystery of the blue girl that's going on, but the mystery of human existence. Why is this family the way it is? Why does this husband and wife feel a little strange, whereas another one seems to be more able to deal with each other? Why is this girl beautiful? Why is that girl not? Hmm. You know, why is this girl the the smart one who thinks about cells and biology all the time? <laughs> right. You know, um, who, who, who's this book for? Is it for the? Is it for, for teenage girls? Is it for, for? Is it for? Is it for guys? If all the characters are, fem- are female. I think teenage girls would love it. I think women would love it. But I think guys who want to understand how women really think about their husbands <laughs> and sons might want to take a look at it. <laughs> so this is The Blue Girl by Laurie Foos. It's from Coffeehouse Press. It's just come out this summer. Okay, Nuri, what have you got? Ah, in my hands is a, is a book called uh, The Truth by Michael Palin. Uh, Michael Palin, the... Uh, the um, Monty Python actor. Now, I, I hate people like like this. Uh, he's 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 sort of good at everything. He's, he he's been a Hollywood movie star. He's, he he uh, he wrote a lot of the stuff for Mike for uh, Monty Python as well as acted in it. He did that uh, travel TV series, and then he decided to to write a novel. You know, don't you hate celebrities? I, it's so annoying. The celebrities can get a novel contract the way a novelist probably can't. cannot. Yes. Exactly, and yeah. So so it's really annoying. So I was really wanting to hate this book but um, it got fantastic reviews from reviewers I really expect I really respect so um, so I picked it up and it was the best thing I'd read for years it's a uh, it's called The Truth by Michael Palin it's about it's a it's a proper novel it's not a it's not a sort of skit or anything Um, and it's about it's about the shrinking of your dreams we all start off with amazing dreams and then as the years go by they shrink and shrink and shrink so it's about a journalist called Keith who wanted to be a writer, but his dreams shrunk and shrunk and he became a journalist instead. Mm. <laughs> and then he became, he's writing PR stuff for horrible oil companies. You know, so his dreams shrunk from this, this big, I'm going to save the world with my storytelling to I'm writing PR for oil companies, you know. And so. can I ask, is he middle aged by any chance? And he's middle aged, of and, course, uh, yes. So, on. <laughs> so, but like it happens to all of us. I mean, this obviously uh, is uh, is powerful for me because you know, uh, you know, I also thought I was going to be the next, um, you know, J.K. Rowling, and, mm. and you know, I don't quite write PR for oil companies, not but, quite, but yeah, but uh, the same direction, and, and it happens to all of us, you know. 
I mean, people want to be architects and they end up, you know, designing toilets for, hmm. you know, that's just the well, way life is. Yeah. <laughs> so it does sound very depressing. But of course, what it is really about is, is uh, finding meaning in life. Uh, because when you're young, you think of meaning in life as a, as a big thing. I'm going to change the world in a very visible way. And then as years go by, your dreams shrink and shrink and you feel despair or depression. But then you find life has a much deeper meaning and you can find uh, fulfillment. So um, I just thought, what a, what a beautifully deep uh, book for a comedian to write, uh, which is extraordinary. Um, but uh, as, as many of the critics said, what's really astonishing is just how beautifully um, it's written, even though he's a, you know, he's a TV comedian. You know, uh, the Telegraph said, uh, The Truth is an ingeniously plotted, beautifully written and hugely enjoyable book. It's one of those books that will never win the Booker Prize. It's just too much fun. You know? <laughs> but why should something that's fun not be considered you know, good literature? That's, that's a very good question, isn't it? I think, uh, I, I, I think Booker Prize judges are scared of things being accessible. If it's accessible and fun to read, it can't be good. Yes, it's got to be really difficult with like lots of impossible to understand words in it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just share a few lines just to, to, to give you the tone. It starts off with um, this, uh, our hero, Keith, who's in a really boring business hotel uh, and, uh, and he's, he's having breakfast. <clears throat> he examined the buffet. It was always the same. He lived in hope that one day a fruit compote might appear or a thick Viking muesli or just... Anything not in a packet. Today there was less than usual, not even a banana. One thing he'd miss about Shetland was the joyful exuberance of the place names. Spiggy, Quarf, Muckle-Fluga, Yell, Gloop, the Wart of Scousebrug, the Haar of Funzy, and the Bite of Ham. These are all names of places in Scotland where he's doing his research for his oil company Stuff. Yeah, but it's wonderful because he's he's playing with language too in a different way, taking these place names that sound so terribly exotic and interesting, you know, and making us feel them. Yeah, and they're just little villages in 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 Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do get depressed a bit. I feel obliged to to read the um, the Booker Prize winners and the Pulitzer Prize stuff. Well, I guess we all do. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, then finally, when I finished, I thought, okay, and I want to read something that's fun. It's fun. Yeah. And and for me, the the great joy in life is finding a book that's actually literary and deep, and is fun at the same time, and they're surprisingly rare. So tell me, what, is, what happens in the book? What, what, what's the story? Okay, so Keith has just written his, uh, his, 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 uh, uh, the history of an oil terminal, and he's feeling terrible, and uh, he decides he's got to go back and discover his childhood dream. He's got, to, he's got to write a novel. And so he veers away from his PR life and tries to recapture uh, his dream. And as uh, we all find out, uh, going back in time is, is not really possible. Uh, it really is a bad idea, generally. <laughs> to, to, to even try. But he does. So, so, so he sets out to do something noble, uh, write a novel, and then he, he decides to write something about the environment to almost make up for writing PR for for oil companies and so we we struggle with him uh, in our search for meaning so it's a it's a it's a book where where you feel it because everybody feels that shrinking of dreams mm. and that search for for meaning do you think palin's feeling that 
Yeah, it could be. Although he's, um, you know, he, he wrote this maybe two years ago and uh, maybe three, and he's he's in his seventies now, so he'd have been in the late sixties. So he has pretty much achieved everything. You know? Yeah, we'd all be so lucky to be him. <laughs> yeah, he's the, he's the anti Keith, if yeah. you like, because he uh-huh. actually did write the great novel and and make the great movie and everything. So do you think he's also tried to make some kind of political point about the environment? There are a lot of novels lately about the environment. Uh, yes, there are. It's very interesting. Um, in fact, in in 2010, on his travels, he went to a place in India where uh, some big international mega corporation was uh, reclaiming a, a bit of virgin jungle where uh, an Indian tribe lived. And um, he had to decide, is it good to develop this poor area? Um, clearly, yes. Uh, but is it good to throw these people out and change it? Um, it was difficult. And I think his struggle with that uh, informs this novel because um, uh, what our hero Keith does is uh, he he gets involved with uh, a battle to um, uh, between a mega corporation and, and a tribe of people. And he has to decide whose side he's on. And having seen both sides, being a PR man and uh, being a, a, a would-be environmentalist, he has to decide which side uh, really works, uh, which side is the right side. It's really good, I think, when novels take on the issues of the day. It makes them that much more, you know, engaging and important to read in a way. Yes. In fact, I think I think a successful novel has to, it has to have that universal thing, doesn't it? It has to so, apply yeah. to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's funny. I always tell my students, um, um, if your novel can be easily transported to a different time or a different place, it's probably a failure. Usually, yes, because it has to be particular to what it, it, it's about also, yeah. Yeah, so it has to have that universality and at the same time it has to be very, very specific. Specific and so, local to whatever the Yeah, try and explain this to, uh, to 19-year-old <laughs> students learning writing. Yeah. Well, you do the same thing, don't you? So, uh, mm. Yes, um, so, so two very different novels there, I, I think we've had. Yeah, both very different, but um, both about language on some level, both mm. dealing with issues that are bigger than just the actual story itself, you know, yes. saying something about society. Uh, yes, and both, I think, quite uh, internal, saying something about the human mm. condition. Yes. And uh, the, 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 the inner self being more valuable than the outer self, very you know, spiritual in that sense. Which I think is what literature is about at the end of the day. Yeah. It is about the human condition. At least that's mm. the point I'm always trying to make. It's not about the plot. You know? right. The plot's just something you need to have so that you can write the book. But it really is about the human condition in whatever form. It looks like a dreams is a theme of uh, uh, of both books, you know. I've always hated that phrase, follow your dream. You know, I know, but it, it is interesting because like one of the characters, when it's her sort of point of view, she says, I am not a person who dreams. I used to dream, but not anymore, not for a long time. Mm. And then she goes into talking about dreams and how she used to tell her husband her dreams in the morning when they woke up and realize later that he was actually not very interested in them. <laughs> Whereas the character in my book, Keith, is more like, uh, is more like me, really. I, I, I never like following my dreams. I often dream of being naked in park and shop. <laughs> so there's not a dream want to follow that. anybody would want to follow. <laughs> yeah. right. Today we've been discussing uh, two fairly recent novels, one of which is... Is The Blue Girl by Laurie Foos that just came out this summer. And the other one is uh, The Truth by Michael Palin, uh, in, out in paperback, I think uh, 2013 it first came out. Uh, both well worth reading. 
Right, in this show, we'll, uh, we'll always uh, end off by going back to one of the classics. Uh, uh, which of the classics uh, would you like to choose this, this week? A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. <laughs> Tale of Two Cities. That's, a, that's, that's like the ultimate novel, isn't it? It is. It is in some ways terribly melodramatic, mm. overplotted, yeah. full of you know, ridiculous <laughs> turns and, and, and things but, mm. and, and crazy characters. I believe it's also the best-selling novel in history. It it is, that's right. I think it's yes. 200 million, million. <laughs> We yeah. all should be so lucky. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Not quite catching up to the Bible, but the, probably the, the, the nearest one. Be close, yeah. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Why, why did you uh, select this one? Well, I was thinking about the political situation now, um, Hong Kong being one country, two mm. systems, you know, and what this all meant, and also the, the, the sort of disparity of income, because we're in the French Revolution, you know, and this is sort of Marie Antoinette time, and, you know, let them eat cake. So it's... It is an interesting book to look upon and think about where we are today. Hmm. Uh, the Tale of Two Cities, the title doesn't really give you any hint of the plot, but it, 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 it's a wonderful love story, really. It's about two men who look very similar as if they were brothers, although they're not brothers, and they both love one woman. woman and the two yeah. men, one is very angelic, rather bland, and the other is, um, is um, very exciting, but rather evil. Mm. And uh, so it's about the, 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 the dynamics, shifting dynamics between these two men and this one woman in a very, very um, um, difficult situation because there's, there are basically revolutions happening with the, with the poor rising up and murdering the rich. Mm-hmm. So it's a very dramatic... Uh, um, it's, I mean, um, is it Occupy Hong Kong that uh, you feel you hear I the echoes of? Perhaps feel some of that because on the one hand we have Charles Darnay who is from an aristocratic family and although he's kind of the good boy now you know his ancestors are guilty of all kinds of evil things and then Sidney Carton who's a more sort of you know run-of-the-mill kind of guy but you know he makes the penultimate sacrifice of his life in order to um, you know allow Charles Darnay to to get out of jail free and, and be with the girl he loves Lucy Manat. And everybody knows the uh, the opening paragraph of the the book, very famous. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. It's funny how we always come back to despair, no matter what. Both our books that we introduced today have you know, kind of a strain of despair in it, you yeah, know. What miseries we novelists are. I know, that's the that's reason to write, isn't it? Because every, life is so miserable. However, of course, you know, there's one part uh, to this opening paragraph, just the end of it, which is quite interesting, which I might as well read as well. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. Mm, Which I always found kind of interesting, you know, the idea. And then Dickens goes on to Mm. compare the the monarchs in England Mm. and the monarchs in France, you Mm. know. Mm. Um, It was an interesting period in Dickens' own life because... um, uh, when he wrote it, he was he'd, he'd, he'd almost changed career. He decided to be, he was going to be an actor. He was reading all these plays, and uh, he did he did two very naughty things. Um, one was that he stole the whole plot of a tale, tale of two cities from another writer and denied it at first. Um, and even accused the other fellow of, of stealing his plot, which was a bit naughty because um, he, he, Dickens was definitely the thief there. And the other naughty thing he'd done is um, he was wooing uh, Ellen Terman, who is a, 
18-year-old um, actress. So we don't know if anything too naughty happened, but he was certainly um, uh, ha- hanging around this, this very young lady uh, in ways that he shouldn't have been probably. So it was a dramatic time in his life, and so it's perhaps not surprising he's writing about love and violence. So I guess the big question is, why should we ask anybody to read a novel that was written sometime in the mid-1800s? Uh, yeah, good question. But uh, having said that, Dickens Dickens is wonderful. I mean, Dickens, he writes books that you get lost in, and they're, and they're great. Although having said that, this is the the only Dickens novel which doesn't really have much humour in it. So, no, uh, it it's is, intensely humourless. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is a bit uh, dry in that sense. Um, but interesting, uh, uh, politically, it's a good love story. It is, yeah. and it, it is a little melodramatic, but mm. then so is much of Dickens anyway. Well, why would you recommend it to, to Well, anybody? I think about, the, if I think about Hong Kong, for example, and how we're con- constantly comparing this city with every other, you know, what is Hong Kong like compared to Singapore, to Shanghai, to Macau? I mean, here's a comparison of two cities for us to look at. Yes, it's, sort of, it's sort of UK versus France, isn't yes, it? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And it, it is quite interesting in that way. And of course, it's at a very important historical time. And we are going through urgent historical times at this point in our existence, I suppose. So I think there are lessons to be picked up from that. Yes, it's the best of times and, and the, worst the worst of, of times, times here as well. <laughs> Yes, very true. You know, um, we can see that uh, Hong Kong can take practical applications from this. Uh, In in the book, it's very much about um, doing the right thing in a difficult situation. And uh, I think that's what Hong Kong is struggling with here, uh, doing the right thing. Yes, and also the complexity of the right thing. Because, you know, Madame Defarge, who knits throughout the entire novel, you know, and when she finally puts down her knitting to take up her axe, um, she's she goes after say Charles Darnay for example because his father was this evil man but she overlooks the fact that he hasn't done anything wrong you know so you have these complexities of you know well who's good who's evil it's not that straightforward or simple and I think that the tale of two cities does show us that yeah that's right so as in as in Hong Kong there's no easy simple answer absolutely um, not yeah. uh, but it but the book does teach us at the end I mean I won't won't, won't, won't give you a spoiler in case you do plan to read it. But the book does show us at the end that uh, um, making the right moral choice as an individual is what finally counts in life. I think so. And I think that's what I've always liked about the book, even if it is kind of sentimental at the end. You know, it, it is kind of beautiful. And there is something to be derived from that feeling that the sort of spiritual quality at the end of the book. That's right. It's a yeah. So it's a, it's a book we learn from. It's a book that uh, that changes us as uh, as all great books do. Where when we finish, when we close the book, we're not the same person we are when we started. That's it, right. Which is just yeah. a wonderful feeling, isn't it? Okay. So we were asking why should anybody read this book, but I think we've sort of answered it, haven't we? That it's still plainly relevant today for um, the world as it is. Uh, that's right. I remember a very wise person uh, once said that uh, if two people with good hearts are arguing over a point of principle, then both are right. In the uh, end, they are. And uh, Yeah, both sides are right. So, um, so there you go, Hong Kong. It looks like a big fight, but both sides are right. <laughs> In the end. We're almost out of time. Uh, thank you for joining us. This has been the very first episode of our new uh, book show, Read All About It. And we've been talking about uh, two recent novels, one of which was... The Blue Girl by Laurie Foos. And the other was The Truth by Michael Palin. And of course, our classic this week, was The Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. And that's all we've got time for. Join us at the same time next week for Read All About It. (laughs) 